0: find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive.
1: Why should young people pursue a career in that? Business to business, food service, hospitality sector, contact catering sector. And for me, yeah. it is such an exciting part of the hospitality industry. You get such great exposure to, as you've said, clients, customers, PL, the business of food, but you also get an insight into how the world operates. So, For me, it is such an exciting part of our industry that I think is often overlooked and I would urge people to sort of consider it as a a great alternative to the traditional hotel or, or restaurant type experience.
0: Meet Hamish Cook, head of group food services at ISS. ISS is a global and leading workplace and experience and facility management company. In this conversation, Hamish shares his journey from his job at McDonald's in his early teens to become leader of global contract catering organizations. We get a great understanding of the complex business model of contract catering and why the complexity also makes it an incredible interesting place to pursue a career in hospitality. Hamish shares ISS vision for food and especially how they're going to contribute significantly to reduce waste and carbon in the coming years as well as helping people to eat more plants and thereby improve their own and the health of our planet we dive into a number of strategic initiatives they are driving to achieve some of these ambitious goals we touch on the cool food pledge beans is how and much more we also discuss how the staffing crisis can be solved And Heimey shares a lot of great leadership advice in the last part of our conversation. If you want to get more insights into what Maverick leaders know and do, as well as more backstage info on the show, sign up for our weekly newsletter, Maverick Talk, five minutes each week that could transform your leadership and business forever. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com and sign up there. Enjoy today's conversation. Welcome, to today's conversation we will be talking about an area sometimes i don't think that gets the you know attention in needs in hospitality. And that's actually what I talked with Hamies about today. And Hamies he is from ISS and he works with food in ISS. And it's an incredible what's actually going on in the catering industry. But sometimes in hospitality, we forget a bit about that industry behind the lines of workplace catering. And we want to talk about the transformation that's actually happening in workplace catering. After we came out of the pandemic, because a lot is happening, I can tell you, and also you know their focus on sustainability and what they're doing actually to make the world a better place, both for for people and and, and the planet. So welcome to the show, Hamis. It's a it's a great pleasure to have you here.
1: Thanks, Michael. It's uh, great to see you, and uh, looking forward to it.
0: So so, so Hames, we've been talking a bit, and you know you 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 are originally come from Australia. journey in hospitality started in australia and actually you started in mcdonald's you told me that so i think that that, that's quite cool that's where we almost both started our journey and then can you share a bit about your journey and why you're choosing career in, in in food service and how it went from mcdonald's to a global catering role
1: yeah i think michael like many sort of young people you know i didn't really know what i wanted to do when i left school And so I sort of fell into hospitality because I had a a family background of not not in hospitality, but people who love to run dinner parties and you know really you know entertain sort of guests on the weekends and at night. So that gave me a passion for food. My mother was a great you know home cook and you know would do events for up to sort of 20, 30 people at times. Um, so that sort of tweaked my interest and Then I did a little bit of time, as you said, as a crew member at McDonald's. And I also worked at a similar sort of time as, you know, French Bakehouse and learned the trade of of baking goods. Um, And that really sort of got me excited about the the business of hospitality. So I thought I really needed to go off and, you know, get some form of a qualification on the back of that. So I went like many and did a hotel management and catering uh, qualification uh, in Melbourne And that sort of set me on the journey. So after that, I did a a couple of years in four- and five-star hotels, both in Australia and then also overseas. And when I returned to to Melbourne after sort of a bit of a working holiday and travel and that, I got a job with an organisation called the Spotless Group as a restaurant supervisor. And Spotless at that time was... Australia's largest contract catering business and covered workplace catering but also major events and, and major stadia and, and was a fairly diverse business and more than just food they, they did a range of facility uh, activities so you know I joined them and I was really lucky because they were a growing organization and so over the next you know 20 years my career sort of mirrored the, the growth of the organization so it went from a relatively small, you know, Australian focused organisation, right up to be a, you know, a global player in facility services. And so I benefited from that and had lots of great mentors and, and, you know, leaders in the business that sort of helped me sort of get great experience in operations and business development. And, you know, was given a lot of freedom to sort of expand my career and, and learn throughout that process. So in 2010, I was asked to head up their newly formed international facilities business out of London as the CEO. And so that brought me to this side of the world and you know i say to a lot of people you know what an experience you know i didn't think that you know when i was working you know at a mcdonald's sort of site in in, in queensland at the time i would ever be sort of working on a global scale covering you know uk you know europe middle east and, and you know north america you know and that was really interesting so since then i've uh, had time running my own international consultancy business and worked in the airline industry, sourcing uh, food and handling logistics for food right across the globe as well. Um, And that brought me to sort of the pandemic and, you know, an opportunity to join ISS, um, which I did in 2020. Um, And, you know, I was attracted to ISS because of the the global nature of the business, you know, and I was also attracted to, to ISS because not many people knew that food was such a big sort of service line for ISS, and we've got lots of fantastic sort of you know, best in class sort of examples of food service in, in workplaces and other environments across the world. And the rest is history. So here I am sort of three years on from, from that decision, which has been great.
0: Yeah, and it is very interesting thinking about the thing you're telling about your journey is like, is there any like, you know, your skills for like people looking at a potentially a career in hospitality or no it's really really challenging right now but like is there some skills you've been taking out of that journey you think you would never have ever had that opportunity if you've gone somewhere else to focus on your career
1: i think the beauty of the business to business you know food service contract catering uh, business is that you know as a leader in that business whether you're leading a site whether you're leading a region a state a country you get to touch all aspects of business. So you are managing people, you're managing comp, com, complex uh, client relationships, and stakeholder management within organisations, you're dealing with people in organisations from sort of our customers who, who may be sort of frontline workers, right up to C-suite sort of decision makers in those organisations, you get to have experience in managing a PL, you know, which is really valuable, and all of the the challenges and benefits of managing a, you know, a team of people. Uh, and, and I think that's really exciting for me. Yeah.
0: yeah that's really interesting. I agree. That's the reason, similar reason I took the McDonald's route was exactly for those reasons, very transferable skills and whatever would happen after that, I would definitely have some skills that I could, take me further than just any kind of job or have these critical management skills. That's often quite hard to get if you're not in a environment where you are allowed to be, you know, put in charge of things in a very young age, which is also one of the things in hospitality gives you. Talk a bit about ISS because when I mention people in, in Denmark where I'm from and where you are now as the global head of food, ISS is a, a company that most people would know about. If they have a little bit of interest in business, at least because there's a global player, on, on on heights with Carlsberg and other great brands. But many times when you mention ISS or any other catering companies, even you know some of your competitors, they people says, "No, I've never heard about that." But well, who is ISS and what do you actually do and how many customers? And
1: so, as you point out, ISS is a leading Danish-based workplace experience and facility services organization. Um, we operate in 30 countries around the world, we employ over 360,000 people, and we provide a range of self-delivered facility services. So that could be food, cleaning, technical facilities management activities, as well as, you know, softer security and or workplace experience services. Um, So, you know, our focus is really on improving the, the workplace satisfaction of our, our customers, and making sure that when you know their employees come to the office, they have a great experience. You know, because it's clean, but also because the food's great, and everything just works in that office. So, you know, that's that's what our real focus is. And I think, you know, we as an organisation have spent a lot of time focusing on technology to make sure we can capture data and, you know, really come up to to speed with regards to, you know, the digital, you know, transformation of workplaces that make sure that that's sort of a key part of our feature as well as as you pointed out, sustainability, and we can talk a bit more about that later.
0: And Amy, so if you take, you know, you you play different roles within these contract solutions within workplaces or actually I saw you over the weekend, actually saw you in the airport in, in Gatwick, doing does probably facility management cleaning team. And, but what role does food play? Because I think, you know, food and workplace is sometimes a bit misunderstood, but it's plays a huge, incredible role, I believe. And I can see that when I meet people from, from business and industry or anywhere else, healthcare now as well. Like food is incredibly important a part of that experience you talk about. It
1: is, and food is obviously one of those key service lines that ISS is focused on. You know, we serve you know, over a million customers every day. So in workplaces, in, as you say, hospitals, in schools, in mining camps, you know. And we do that across sort of 20 countries where we self-deliver food services. You know, we tend to really focus on offices and, you know, you know, industry and manufacturing type environments and healthcare are our three major sort of areas of focus. But in addition to that, we have very large sort of services around education, around running mining camps, and we provide the full gamut of, you know, catering or food service type activities. So we run restaurants, we provide, you know, material and service around office tea and coffee services. We run coffee shops, barista bars. We provide meals to patients in hospitals. So we run a big patient feeding program. We run, you know, mining camps in remote environments where, you know, in addition to providing three meals a day for those those workers, we also clean their, their rooms. We manage the airport for them. Um, and make sure they have a great experience when they come on site in a remote way and then when they leave site, you know, a couple of weeks later. So, you know, it's fairly diverse what we do and, but, you know, it's really exciting part of the, the industry that people perhaps don't uh, recognize, uh, you know, it goes on behind the scenes in many organizations.
0: Yeah, yeah, because if you just have a little bit of experience, I was sitting listening to extremely huge complex models and also to execute, you really need to... Beyond your logistics, your operation systems, and your management bit, because also there's different needs, I guess, from client to client. It's not the same model as roll out at every every place you are. No, I
1: think the, the 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 real benefit of of partnering with you know ISS or another facility organization is to really get the benefits of that scale. So you know, really good strong systems, you know, that you can take across the organization. Great sort of management of data and information so that, you know, if you're an organization that has offices or food service operations across the globe, we can get some consistency around what the offer is and make sure we're reporting on similar KPIs and things like that.
0: And and for people to understand, uh, you know, if you should say, you know, give us some, some words on what is the, the vision for food in ISS and what, you know, how does that look in the, the future ahead?
1: Yeah, food in ISS is all about the workplace experience. It's all about making sure that the food service complements you know, somebody's experience when they're at the office, when they're working in a factory, or when they're having an experience in a healthcare organisation or school or somewhere like that. Um, as the concept of working in offices and, and factories has changed post the pandemic, um, lots of organisations are really looking at how they you know, use services, food being, you know, a key one to really make sure it's, it's, a, it adds value to, you know, the worker when they come back to the office, it's an opportunity for workers to collaborate over lunch or an experience associated with food, making sure that, you know, those things that you don't get when you're sitting at home, you get in an office environment. So lots of organisations are, are, are using, you know, food and enhanced food services to make sure it supports their retention and and you know recruitment activities for, for employees, but also you know adding to the productivity of those employees when they're actually on work on on site um, is is critical. And we help you know organisations with uh, health and and being sort of programs that are so sort of linked with with you know great nutritious food. And
0: and, and, and that really you know if we what's really been interesting as you know I'm prepared for this and been talking with you prior to this is like you know the, the, the focusing on food waste a very big topic right now in hospitality i think it's been there for for some years but like it's really become a reality for many because there's probably a, a pressure from the end user the consumer we can call them as well and there's also a pressure from your clients as guess. but also there is a a cost pressure now on, on food that really makes you, there's a very good business case in understanding how much food do we actually need? What is enough in a way to deliver the service we have? Can you talk a bit about, you know, your very ambitious targets of reducing, you know, your food waste with 50% and and you said you are serving a million clients a day. So that's quite a lot by 2027.
1: Yeah, food waste is obviously, just one of the sort of the, the planks of our, you know, real vision to be leaders in sustainability around food, yeah. and that's something that that we as an organisation is really passionate about. You know, ISS has, you know, very strong, you know, net zero commitments, and food being one of our key service lines needs to make sure that we're supporting those uh, ambitions to get to net zero, you know, by twenty thirty for for scope one and two, and then twenty forty for scope three. Food waste, you know, you pointed out, you know, it was, it's always been there, and I think it was always there as a cost item. That we were always, if you're a food operator, you're looking at the cost of food and how much is actually in the bin or how much are you wasting, and really, you know, linking that to cost. These days, you know, cost is obviously still critical, particularly in a time of high inflation, but it's actually more to do with food waste and the environmental sort of challenges that mm. that throws up. You know, food waste, you know, they say that, you know. You know, almost a third of food that's produced is wasted, and in a time when we have you know famines and we have you know challenges about feeding you know people in in parts of the world, that the thought that we would be wasting a third of all food that's produced is an issue for us. The other thing is that you know food is a major contributor to global greenhouse gas emissions, and anything we can do to sort of reduce the the emissions associated with food and and food waste is certainly Front and center for things that, that we want to, to do. You know, I think we have been really successful in sort of reducing our food waste to date. Uh, we've just announced that a couple of weeks ago that we've managed to reduce our food waste from our 2019 uh, baseline by 30%, which, wow. which is, you know, we're, we're really pleased about. We've done that by embracing technology. Um, we use you know, an AI based technology from Winnow Solutions that you know, measures what the waste is. And I think we've developed a core competency at the moment in really understanding our waste profile. So we know, for example, that 60% of our waste comes from sort of three key areas of, of sort of plate waste, trimmings from production and sort of our, our main meal usage and things like that. So um, when we get that information, we can take that and change behaviours of our staff, change behaviours of our customers by you know, changing you know, the portion um, size and or, or you know, really understanding what aspects of food on a plate customers are embracing and eating or what what parts of the plate they're not eating, um, which is uh, really critical for us.
0: it would be interesting just to dive a bit into to that because I guess like changing anything in the food and operation in my world is always behavioural change in principle you're, you're working with and you need to, people have been doing something top to a certain state and now they need to do something new to achieve that. So how are you working internally with people to get a bit of grips on that? Because one thing you always are scared about when you run a food or present is to run out of stuff, you know, we're going to be out of this and therefore we prepare more than we actually need. And that's definitely be a classic example in all the business I've been besides McDonald's where it's a bit more easy to control in many point of view because you can predict much better. And today it's, you know, your order to, To produce in principle but you know it's really really hard to predict what's going to sell on the day
1: yeah that's a really detailed question uh, Michael and there's lots of lots of answers to that Um, you know our, our sort of focus is really understanding through data so really looking at the data so every one of our locations now collects food waste data on a daily basis you know and we consolidate that up We overlay what we learn from, you know, the Winnow system as well. And then we can make sort of targeted assumptions and and change programs to really get to, you know, the issue of the problem at at a particular location. So if it's plate waste at at a location, you know, we will work with with a a local team to see, you know, we've got a, a potential issue with plate waste. What do we do with our customer set on site to sort of change that? Are we overproducing? Are we putting too much on the plate? It may be that we've got a problem with trimmings in a kitchen, and that's about educating our chefs and or you know, team in the kitchen to make sure that they are focused on what they can use trimmings for, stocks and the other sort of ingredients uh, across the, the, the spectrum of our menus. Um, so that's that's a really important one. But a lot of what comes down to it, and this is where I think we're really evolving, is you know planning, and that's mm. that you know, how much food do we actually need on a daily basis? And, you know, where we're thinking at the moment and where we are sort of leading, you know, activities in our organisation is to look at how do we sort of understand how many people we're going to get into to one of our kitchens or one of our sort of restaurants on a daily basis. And that's a product of how many people are coming into that workplace on a daily basis, making sure that we can look ahead and sort of say, well, it's a, it's a wet, you know, day in in November, how many people do we think we're going to need? How much food do we need to order? Um, And how much food do we need to produce to to service what we think is the sort of the forecasted number of people? Uh, And that's, you know, we're doing that with sort of sensor technology, and we're doing it with sort of programs to sort of look at what the conversion rate is, people in the office to to eating and things like that. And and not just is it, are they eating, but what they're going to eat and what they're going to choose. So, you know, it's starting to Capture data on all of that type of activity. So that's, it's
0: that's very cool. interesting how you talk about how you actually deploy the strategy by actually using data to yeah. confirm. Actually, are we actually doing the right thing? Is actually working? And also how you're be using physical data actually to understand customer flows and so on. Because I guess that will be the the hardest. To figure out how many is actually going to come into the ten thousand people office building that day yeah. it's going to be half and, and i can imagine it's almost impossible possible even you know from my experience in restaurants how hard it was to you know predict footfall in, in in a restaurant
1: yeah and i think to your point earlier you know
0: should we be afraid of
1: running out i think we should be afraid of running out of food but should we be afraid of running out of one particular menu Mm. item, and we can substitute, you know, for the last half hour of lunch, something else that's equally as nutritious, equally as exciting. But, you know, we're utilising the food that we have rather than, you know, having to, you know, overproduce food. And I think that's uh, really important. I think the other thing that uh, we are really focused on is also just general waste, you know, making sure we minimise, you know, the use of single use plastics, introduce sort of reusable programs so that we're not, you know, wasting packaging and or you know, anything associated with our sort of footprint when it comes to food
0: um, as well. You mentioned that, you know, food waste is one focus in the sustainability. Industry. Do you want to share a couple of the other initiatives? I know you're doing some, some great things within different other things, but maybe it gives sense now to dive into what else you're doing actually for, you know, reducing emission and, and sustainability around food.
1: Yeah, we've got sort of three planks, three key planks to our our sustainability um, program. Food waste is certainly one of them. Making sure that we're generally reducing our greenhouse gas emissions through, you know, the use of more plant-forward and plant-based sort of menu items is another that's really important for us. We've got a sort of an ambitious target to reduce, you know, the greenhouse gas emissions of our food operations by uh, 25% by 2030. And to that effect, we've we signed up to the cool food pledge. And then finally, you know, it is about our procurement behavior and, and you know what are we buying? Is it sustainable seafood? Is it you know products that use palm oil from sustainable sources? Is it you know making sure that when we've got a coffee program, we're buying, you know, the, the best, most sustainable coffee we can, and what can we do to then support the growers and, and people in that sort of you know part of, of their supply chain to you know through you know, programs to make sure that we can, you know, give back something to local communities and things like that.
0: You mentioned Cool Food Pledge. I know what that is, but just for for the audience out there, what exactly, it's an incredible organizations, so there's a lot of big companies on board here trying to do something around, you know, emissions and, and food and especially bring more plant-based options to, to the table.
1: Yeah, the Cool Food Pledge is an initiative of the World Resources Institute. And it's run across the globe and it's run across sort of hospitality entities. So it includes major hotel chains, quick service restaurant chains, caterers like like ISS, where we collectively all are working towards reducing our greenhouse gas emissions from food by 25% by 2030. So the WRI and and the Cool Food Programme have great insights into how do we nudge and change behavior of customers by you know where do you position food on counters? How do you name and and label food, you know, in restaurants and and on menus to make sure that you know you're not you haven't got a a stigma associated with you know being vegan or or vegetarian, you know, and making sure that you know plant-based food options is just you know something that you would expect to see like you would a steak or, or a chicken dish or, or something like that. So, you know, we've learned a lot from them and, you know, we really, you know, you know embrace their sort of philosophy around this. You know, in a, in, a, in addition to that, they provide us just some great insight into what we're actually procuring and what the greenhouse gas uh, emission profile is of, of our supply chain. And that's, you know, once again, one of the major benefits of partnering with somebody like uh, Cool Food. You know.
0: Yeah, and it's very interesting you talking about how do you actually get the end user the customers to choose plants first and how do you make it available and how do you make it enticing to people because there is some stigmas around plant-based food as you say veganism or vegetarian it's actually very important that we move the bell curve you know it's not about the people that have already made the choice to eat primarily plants exactly all the people that eat primarily uh, meat based diet which there's nothing you know it's also about not you know making them feel that they're doing something wrong but like how can you actually notch them in in the right direction could you give a couple of example of or maybe just one example of what you are doing you know from your learnings and cool food actually to get end users to opt in for for the the plant first option when they stand there and have to choose their their launch um,
1: so certainly it, it's probably even before that you know we've spent a lot of time and effort sort of implementing sort of a program to educate our own placemakers and teams about what plant food you know and plant forward type diets are so you know we're we're launching you know some global e-learning across our organization to make sure we can bring our own teams with us and and get them on board with you know how do they construct menus around you know plant-based and and you know plant forward dishes to reduce this, the amount of you know red meat and, and other you know animal protein type activities. So that's sort of the first point. We've taken sort of learnings from you know, the cool food piece with regards to you know, their nudging behaviours, and it is a bit about not calling things vegan or vegetarian, um, but it's also about where do we place those items in a, in a in a restaurant flow. So you know we would always try and put the plant based options at the beginning of the 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 sort of the flow so that people can sort of have more of that on their plate or look at it and go, that looks really, you know, really enticing. I'm going to have that instead of, you know, the the meat or the the chicken or something that's perhaps at the end of the the flow. So fill up their plates early with with the plant-based option is is sort of one strategy. I think the other thing is that, you know, making sure that we learn from other organisations as well about, you know, the, the great range of products that you can use in, as plant-based alternatives, you know, beans, pulses, and mm. um, you know, legumes and all those types of things that, you know, that, you know, lots of cultures just regularly use, but in the West, you know, it seems to have been, you know, a little bit forgotten. And uh, that's something that we've, once again, you know, put a lot of focus on, um, you know, moving forward.
0: Yeah. And I love pulses, you know that. And uh, the audience <laughs> out there know I love pulses as well. But, but what's really interesting is also some of the work was I had, Paul from uh, Beans to How uh, or the UN, he works part of the UN and they have this Beans is How campaign where actually one, you know, double the amount of uh, pulses eaten in the world. So, Mm -hmm. and it's a very ambitious plan they have. And 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 he actually mentioned Isis as uh, one of the the leading companies that helps actually promoting this. And, but then can you talk a bit about what that's about? Because now you mentioned pulses and lentils yourself because it gives good sense to talk about that because that's When you mention pulses or beans to people, especially end users, they can become a bit scared because they have, you know, either a weird relationship with it or had some bad eating experiences with pulses in in their past.
1: Yeah. Um, You're right. ISS is one of the founding members of the Beans is How Coalition, and that's... Been driven out of our U.S.-based Guckenheimer business, and that's you know, where we're sort of doing a lot of work with, with Beans Out. We've also taken that initiative to, to other parts of the world, particularly the UK and some of the Nordic countries. You know, for us, we put a lot of effort and time into you know, planning menus, uh, and doing so, it's uh, you know, the, the increased use of beans and pulses and, and legumes is really you know, should be part of any of our, of our menus uh, moving forward. We've also done quite a bit of work with Unilever and also their uh, Future 50 Food sort of uh, initiative. So we've now got, you know, recipe books that incorporate, you know, lots of use of Future 50 Foods that are sort of foods that, you know, like beans and and pulses are sustainable foods, you know, into the future. And learning from, you know, a wide variety of organisations, whether it's WRI, Unilever, Beans is How. You know really supports us you know collectively and i think we are you know an organization that's eager to learn about this so we we, you know resource a team of people in our organization to, to find out you know what's going on and making sure we can bring that to our customers in, in the workplace you know in a, in a subtle but you know really exciting way to make sure that you know they're enjoying the, the food experience you know the feedback from, you know, the Pulse Kitchen sort of pop up that we did in London a few weeks ago, has been outstanding, you know, people really enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, the more of that type of, you know, sampling of food, incorporating it into the daily activity is really, uh, really beneficial for us.
0: Yeah, we're glad to hear that in the, in the Pulse Kitchen, because um, that's in our blood. We also want people to eat more pulses, but without the sacrifice of taste and pleasure, which is incredibly important, as you say, when you want to move people, that actually the plan first option in general doesn't become about sacrificing something, but it's still around the the joy of eating a great meal that both, you know, make me feel good and also do those good things besides that in the supply chain or, or for, for, for the planet. Yeah. Um, how do you see there's lots of challenges in 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 hospitality right now if you could you know remove one of those uh, how would you what which one would you like to be seen solved you know many different people talks about different challenges compared to where the business is but what is the one you really would love to see if that could go away tomorrow that would be great
1: Look, there's lots of lots of challenges as you've, you've you've pointed out. You know, one of them is certainly labour shortages, uh, and you know, attracting talent to, to you know, work in kitchens and, and work in hospitality. And it's not unique to, to ISS. This is right across the uh, the board. And I think uh, you know, post pandemic, we've seen a real challenge with you know attracting you know young people to to you know the industry. So certainly making sure that we can solve that problem would be really important. I think the other one for us is certainly around sustainability in in general and healthy eating that goes with that. So that's another really important and passionate part of my sort of reason to to promote this is, you know, anything we do with food sustainability is beneficial for the planet. And you know, making sure if we could solve you know the, the world problems associated with greenhouse gas, that's a big tick for for me. But also the health benefits of, of eating more you know plant based sort of um, food or a balanced diet is also really important. You know, for the last number of years, there's been lots of you know you know focus on health and well being of people, and, and food plays a really important part of that. So, you know, for me, anything we can do around that is uh, going to be important, and The final sort of thing I'd like to see sort of fixed is, you know, the recognition that people that work in the hospitality industry are actually really professional people, you know. They're not just service staff, you know. There's lots of, you know, qualified, you know, people with, you know, degrees, with MBAs in this part of the industry. And I think, you know, because, you know, lots of people touch food every day, they think they're an expert on it. But actually mm. managing large events, large scale food service delivery, changing hearts and minds across, you know, a global business or, you a, know, a, 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 even a, in a restaurant is actually much more complex than just going in and cooking dinner at home. And I think I'd really like to sort of see food and hospitality, you know, the industry, you know, really recognising that, you know, the, the professionalism of, of you know, the people at work here, because I think that would solve some of the, the staff shortage challenges because, you know, people get recognized for, for their qualifications and, and get recognized for really, you know, doing a difficult job that uh, is more complex than uh, just, you know, buying some food and putting it in the microwave or something. Yeah.
0: yeah, And I think also that like this, you know, you know, the media really, really like you brought that up because there's a misunderstanding about like, you know, it's in principle, if you build a career, get high up in the ranks is actually all about behavioral change. And that's a really hot topic in the world. Lots of people want to go and do it in tech, but actually doing it through food and actually the massive the challenge of getting a logistic machine, food and people, you know, something that's very, you know, fluid to work at the same time, is a huge huge challenge, but actually, you know, the change management skills that actually takes to acquire during time to be successful. It's huge. Uh, because it's not just the person in front of you you need to change, it's maybe somebody on the other side of the world or somebody you're never, ever going to speak to.
1: Exactly. And, and you know, the the big food operations around the world, you know, they are really big logistics challenges, you know, moving food, preparing food, you know, mobilizing, you know, thousands of people to, you know, run food at an event or or something like that. Now, this is this is a real skill, you know, and you know people, you know, you know in the industry recognise that. I, I think it's perhaps others that sort of, you know, are you just working food, you know, they just sort yeah. of said it's the restaurant they go to, and I think it's, it, it is much more sophisticated than that, and it's a, it's a real business of food that, you know, I think is you know the real excitement of the of the of the, you know, the service delivery model, as well as you know the excitement of just great food, you
0: know. I think one question I also want to touch before before we move on to the sort of last bits of it, Hamis, um, is this also like you know it's a, it's a hugely hugely complex operation. We already touched on that a couple of times. Can you give a couple of examples of you know how do you actually have you know maybe maybe some changes you've done in in a post pandemic world where there's less hands and it's just more challenging? What is like some approaches you're taking that has been very different from what you've done before? Because actually, I think sometimes also people maybe have a misconception and misunderstand actually, you know, how sophisticated your operation systems has to be to deliver food on time and so on. But actually, what have you been doing to adapt the business model to the future?
1: It's all about technology and and digital transformation of of an organization. And like many, uh, you know, in our space, you know, labor shortages and always wanting to be able to serve people quickly. You know, we've sort of implemented a lot of self-checkout type technology, whether that's, you know, like an Amazon Go type uh, environment or is it, you know, just, you know, using AI to scan plates and pay based on what the AI tells is on the plate, you know, all of those types of uh, initiatives, are you know, are things that we are exploring on a daily basis uh, in the organization and deploying them. So that's certainly, you know, one sort of area that that we want to do. The other one is, you know, really making sure that we do recognize that, you know, the people that work for us, you know, are also, you know, it's about retaining those people and retaining great talent. So, you know, really understanding why people come to work and why they particularly come to, to ISS. So, you know, we as an organization place a lot of value on, you know, the individual in our organization, making sure that they feel, you know, that they belong in our organization and making sure that they feel supported and you know being flexible about working sort of arrangements where it allows and and making sure that we have you know great initiatives particularly for our culinary experts like our um, international culinary competition that we've just had which showcases you know the great talent we have not just across our organization but we give them a platform you know outside of our organization with clients and also you know on social media and things like that that makes a difference to people you know if they can sort of see themselves Know, competing with, you know, like-minded, you know, people in our business, they get flown from, you know, their country somewhere in another part of the world to, to Copenhagen. That's, that's something that people really like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that be quite interesting because I've been following it a bit, you know, I wasn't there, but I could definitely see that the people that participated in this, well, really it's a bit like master chefs kind of thing. It's the same kind of probably the preparation it takes to, be there and be probably with the top one percent or maybe it's less on an iss level globally it must also sharpen your you know your talents but also it makes you feel that you're part of something i might not be able to get another place i think it's a great example of actually doing something that's you know a bit different than just having a, a job in the kitchen
1: Look, absolutely you know the culinary competition that we run you know starting countries and you know we have 14 country competitions, you know, running at the beginning of the year and they culminate in a sort of a a team that wins that country, you know, and then they get narrowed down through a sort of a a process to, you know, the top seven teams this year that came to Copenhagen to compete. You know, some of the individuals that, you know, have never been outside of their country, you know, so to come to Copenhagen, spend, you know, a fairly intense day sort of, you know, preparing and then sort of participating in the, the competition, but then also being able to sort of experience the great food scene in copenhagen and then perhaps go on you know after that and spending a, you know a few days or a week in europe traveling around as you know is a, is a great opportunity for them as well so um you know it's uh, certainly something that you know we get get a lot of interest in, in our organization you know at senior level but also you know at, at, at country level right across the, the board
0: what has you know talking about go back to you heinous your a business leader in in food and what has like your most significant learning been in, in the past two years, let's say, I often call it after we left the pandemic, which is really a big moment for food because it was a rough time and there's still challenges as you said, but like, what has been like some of your most significant learnings in that period?
1: The the, the key thing for me is patience as, as a task focused individual, you know, for Mm -hmm. me, recognising that, you know, we don't have to make a, a decision on every single activity or item today. Sometimes the best decision is to sort of what I would say, hold, and sort of think about it, get some more data, and then make a decision. Uh, and I refer back, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, if we made a decision on at the, you know, the the end of March, you know, about the future of a business, it would be very different to the decision you would make at the end of July 2020. And likewise you know the invasion of ukraine last year you know major impact on food costs and supply chains and logistics you know, your decision making you know ability really needed you to take some time to collect that to collect facts and data so that you could make the right decision at a point in time so so that sort of patience is is one that is pretty important to me yeah.
0: super interesting. A couple of others has been on the show recently, Uh, one of them talked about, you know, understand what 20% that drives 80%. Because in in, in food, we in general learn just to really quickly solve problems and put out fires. So how do we actually get up in the helicopter, and actually look at all the challenges and then find out what 20% of those challenges will solve 80%, maybe and some of them will solve others that we didn't even thought about. But actually, you know, taking that time to understand your challenge is better and actually maybe it's it's exactly a one-off and it's exactly not really there's no pattern in this there's no data that underpins that this is actually a problem that's maybe more an emotional problem so i I really 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 like that it's very good advice and i think it's in general we've been in this period everyone has been in this where we've been firefighting actually it takes a long time to come out of that because you have been thrown in one corner to the next corner as you said like July, you probably look different in your business. And then you can say December 2020, when the second lockdown happened here in the UK, I think a lot of people thought they would never survive and wouldn't have a business. They're still around today. But again, you know, you you are, you are need to be able to step back. And that's what the pandemic learned us and, and the having patience, I love that. Uh, any advice you would give to a business leader out there that's trying to build a, a business as a force for good and if that in sustainability, making better for the people or the planet? Any top advice you can give Hamish on, on your own journey trying to do this?
1: Many years ago, I was involved in a in a program in, in Melbourne called the Williamson Community Leadership Program. And that was a program that took business leaders, NGO leaders, government leaders, and put them together for a year, you know, on a on a weekly basis for you know, either one hour or two hours or a full day each week for sort of the best part of a year. Um, and what that really told me is that as a business leader, we look at, you know, life, you know, activities, our business, you know, through a, through a particular lens. You know, the NGO sector and, you know, the non-government sort of charity sector look at it completely differently. So what may be a, a really, you know, small amount of resources and or money for a business actually is, you know, a full year's budget for a small NGO that is actually making a real difference at a local level um, or at a country level. So I think I would be urging, you know, business leaders in hospitality to sort of, you know, get involved with local smaller organisations, particularly non-government organisations, whether they're food banks, whether they're, you know, people that, you know, organisations that are helping sort of unemployed people get jobs and an entrance into the the workforce. You know, these are all things that are going to benefit uh, us you know whether it's you know using you know surplus food whether it's attracting more talent to us and really recognize that you know how we look at the world for you know resources and budgets and things like that is very different to, to you know to the small amount of money that can actually make a huge difference to to another organization so that's certainly something that uh, yeah, that's a very good question
0: do. very good question to think about and actually no matter size your business you can do a different in some kind of way because you're probably better resource than many of these organizations that's trying hard out there and I talk about beans is how i was on a like a coalition meeting they call and it was really interesting these smaller organizations but they didn't need much to do huge impacts in schools or communities or with farmers and those those amounts didn't sound scary and i, I know that from chocolate where we have Sean Askinosie from Askinosie chocolate is going to come in a couple of weeks time where he talks about he does these origin journeys where he actually just goes out and build networks and helps them out in their own local societies that cost his time and then it cost him to do some fundraising and that's making normalist rides in in farming communities in Africa or South America it's a very very good example what is what is the one question uh, Hamish I asked you and what would the question be, and what is the the answer?
1: That great question, uh, Michael. But uh, I guess uh, the the question it goes right back to sort of the beginning of our conversation. But you know, why should young people pursue a career in the business to business food service hospitality sector, contract catering sector? Yeah. Um, and uh, for me, yeah, it is such an exciting part of the hospitality industry. You know, you get such great exposure to you know. As we've said, clients, customers, the PNL, the business of food, but you also get an insight into how the world operates. You know, you will be having breakfast in, you know, a cigarette, you know, manufacturer or a chocolate manufacturer, you know, in their staff restaurant. And talking to their management team about you know what's going on. Mid morning, you could be in a school, you know, understanding how the school system works in a, in a country. You know, lunch could be in a boardroom for a top in you know, a Fortune 500 bank and talking to their CEO or, or C-suite about you know retention strategies for staff. And the evening, you could be in a in a in a box or you know walking around an event. Sort of seeing that you know the huge logistics challenges of providing food to 100,000 people at a sporting game or at a, at a big sort of social activity so for me you know it is such an exciting part of our industry that i think is often overlooked and it, uh, i would urge people to sort of consider it as a, as a great alternative to the traditional you know hotel or, or restaurant type you know experience
0: well, that's a very good question, a very, very good promotion of well of um, an industry, as I said in the beginning, that has not always been in, in, in the be- best light in a way. And actually, there's going to come a couple of other catering providers on um, talking about what they are trying to do as well, because they also talk about the similar challenges. There'll be more of this. If people want to reach out to you, hamis said, oh, I want to know a bit more about that, or I actually have this question for hamis where's the best place to reach out to you if they have questions?
1: Like many michael i'm on linkedin and sort of certainly happy to engage with other you know hospitality professionals i'm also involved in the bacchus mentoring program at uh, oxford books university in the uk so any you know budding students who might be listening in oxford books you know more than happy to sort of engage with them either through linkedin or through the program directly
0: absolutely great we will put the link to your profile in in the show notes hamish so people can find it there Thank you so much for, for taking the time to come here on, on the show and share your learnings, your, your journey as well, and all your great advice. Send you and the team at ISS Power and Energy.
1: Thanks very much, Michael. It's been a great hour.
0: I really appreciate that you're listening. Here. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate it or give it a review or subscribe to one of our channels, which so all can be done. We are the website, hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading books is key to become a great leader. So I have help you with a curated list of some of the books that have impacted the guests here in the show and myself over the years. Find it on Hospitality Mavericks' website, hospitalitymavericks.com, under the reading list. A big thank you to Biz Simply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies and tools to help leaders to become better Every day. Check them out at Bisssimply.com on the social at Biss Simply or BissimplyHQ. You can also email them directly at podcast at If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or my email, Michael at hospitalitymaverick.com I'm Michael Tingsa, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick.